Welcome to Backstory, presented by Real Asian Film Festival. My name is Aram Collier. And I'm Kelly Louie. For our first episode, we had the pleasure of hosting two filmmakers who just premiered their feature films to have a conversation about their works, the processes, and personal stories that went into making these films. We're calling this Creative to Creative. It's a format that we hope to visit from time to time, where we put two creators in conversation with each other. There's a secret sauce to making films, and there are challenges shared amongst industry professionals. We're hoping to gain a greater insight into those behind-the-scenes stories that all go into making a great piece of cinema. So Kelly, I'm, I'm so glad that we were able to get Gloria and Albert on this podcast, especially for our first episode, you know. Um, you know, the, the admiration that they have for each other is so apparent and so genuine. Um, I, it, it was it was so great to just sit and listen to them have a conversation about their films. Yeah, I, I think I was, I'm along the same lines. I was pretty surprised, honestly, if I can say this out loud. Um, we didn't even have to really ask them any questions. They kind of did all the work, which was really, really, really cool just to see two filmmakers being very respectful and mindful and just like nerds about each other's filmography um yeah and I just thought like I felt really honored to just kind of be able to like listen to them yeah and I think I think part of it is also that as a filmmaker you have Q&As you do your press junket that kind of thing but but maybe you actually don't get as much of a chance to really talk about the film and and how you're processing it afterwards so I I feel really lucky to have been able to listen to that conversation um some things that really stood out for me was this you know, this tension between, you know, your emotional truths and, and the layers that, that you add on top of that for, for the sake of making a film that, you know, a general audience can watch. So I, I found that so fascinating. I thought that was really interesting because both pieces come from such personal um, origins with both of them. I, and I, it was interesting really to hear how, you know, that just to bring that process where, um, you know, sometimes you don't want to share that personal story, but the film is about that emotional truth. And like, and I think that just also relates to how do you tell the story that can also resonate with a larger audience? Yeah. I mean, there's so, there's so much of a, a, a kind of industry talk about um, telling your story. And w- so what does telling your story look like? Is it always about bearing your soul or being super specific and exacting to your life or your experience. And, and I think through their conversation is really, I, I learned it so much about more than that, right? And it's really complicated too, that sometimes you actually do want to distance yourself away from that um, for a variety of reasons. Yeah, and I think like they both tackled it in such different ways, which kind of comes back to that, I think, larger theme that they talked about like emotional truth and just kind of their process of putting layers but also like trying to really be mindful of doing the work if putting those layers like what does that work mean behind that what I also really just loved was them just like talking about the film process because I think on my end at least get it like so lucky to watch the films and then just assuming that this film may be took a year to make in Gloria's case it took what like 10 years 11 years yeah something like yeah it was crazy it was yeah. a, a really long time so 
I mean, it's such a it's such a journey, and and it's so funny that they really started off with that. It's just like if anybody you know, take one thing away from listening to this, it's about perseverance and sticking sticking to it. You know, um, you know, one of the things is that was also so great is I I mean, uh, un- unfortunately for our beloved producer Sungwoo, they actually talked for a long time, so we actually have to cut our episode into two parts. But you know, I think that's a uh, I, I I think that'll be great because. Um, and you definitely want to listen to like the <laughs> the end of part two um, when we get down to some uh, kind of random old questions and really surprise surprise answers that are just so um, funny, um, endearing, really personal. Um, so I'm hoping that people uh, get a chance to hear that second episode too. Not that I want to pick a favorite, but I do think that part was my my favorite of the recording but i'm just excited for everyone to listen to this first part of this amazing conversation between albert and gloria today we're excited to not only start our first episode of this podcast but to have with us a couple of amazing filmmakers who are favorites of real asian they'll share with us some of their work their process and their backstories Our first guest is Albert Shin, who was born in Ottawa, Ontario. After his debut feature in 2010 with Point Traverse, he went on to make his second feature, In Her Place, in 2014, which premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival and screened at film festivals worldwide. Good afternoon, folks. We're about 10 seconds from your first glimpse of the falls. I uh, I guess you're a local? I grew up here. This is a nice town, but a thing drives people crazy. Remember I used to talk about the one-eyed boy? I remember you telling me a lot of things. I found a picture. A lot of history around these parts. An awful lot of history. The clip you've just heard is from his latest and third feature, Disappearance at Clifton Hill, which follows the story of Abby, whose homecoming to Niagara Falls resurfaces a fragmented memory from her childhood, the kidnapping she believes she was witness to. At Relation, we've had the pleasure of having Albert as one of our mentors for our Unsung Voices Youth Filmmaking Program, as well as a juror for our pitch competition. Our second guest is Gloria Young Kim. Born in Seoul, Korea, Gloria is a Toronto-based writer and director who has been a longtime friend of the festival. At Relation, we've been really lucky to have screened many of her short films. Most recently in 2013, she won the So You Think You Can Pitch with her film Flamenco which went on to screen at our 2015 festival. Gloria also recently took part in our festival last year as one of our pitch competition jurors. So, we both did today, huh? Your dad coming? He'll be here. Sure. He will. My dad is coming home for my birthday. That's what mine said. Mona! Mom! Mona, why is your school calling me? Mom, stop! Oh, 진짜, 맞아야지, 정신 차리지, 일로 와. 닥쳐. 가, 빨리. The clip you've just heard is from Gloria's first feature film, Queen of the Morning Calm, which follows the story of Deborah and her daughter Mona as they journey towards finding self-love and acceptance. The film had its world premiere at Whistler Film Festival this past year. All right, so welcome, Albert and Gloria. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. I don't think there's a lot of Korean Canadian filmmakers out there. So um, like how long have you two known each other and where do you remember where you first met? 
Um, I remember. I don't know if you do, Gloria. Yeah, I totally remember our first meeting. Um, so it was a couple years ago. I remember we met at TIFF. Didn't we meet? Wasn't that our first meeting? Yeah, um, it was at TIFF, I think, um, the year I was there with Inner Place, which would have been 2014. Yeah. Yeah. And I had just seen the film, and I had reached out to Albert and Igor, and I remember we had a meeting. I was wanting to ask you advice for my my feature, Queen, which was still, you know, in development. And I'm going to embarrass you now, Albert, <laughs> but I remember I was so moved by the film that I sat with him and Igor at the table, and I just sobbed as I told him how much I loved his movie. <laughs> Is that what you remember? <laughs> uh, yes, something like that, <laughs> which was very, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's also kind of nice that that's how we met. And now here we are, you know, I guess over five years later, and that film that you were talking about, which you were so passionate about, you know, you actually got to make and, and premiere and, and now, and, yeah. and now you're going to present it to the world, which is, which is amazing. And I think is an, is a testament to sort of the perseverance you need to, to do this kind of thing. So oh my gosh, so much perseverance. It's just crazy. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I can only imagine. I mean, I have an idea cause obviously I've been through some of those things as well. And yeah, if, if there's one thing I can impart to sort of emerging filmmakers or, or young filmmakers or people that are wanting to get into this, it's just having <laughs> perseverance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just not, not giving up and, doing whatever side jobs you can or if you can if you can do any directing for hire or writing for hire you know do that just have to keep going yeah it's so it's so interesting um you know not only perseverance but um you know i mean specifically both uh clifton hill and queen in the morning calm um you know they come from very personal places for 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 both of you albert talking about uh, witnessing a kidnapping, uh, Gloria, your experience with abuse. So um, maybe you two can can talk a little bit, uh, kind of expound on not that not just that personal, uh, not just that perseverance, but also that, um, you know, telling from a personal perspective or, or drawing upon that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for me, I really i mean this was a story that came from deep inside of my heart and and it's a story about a a sex worker and her her child and um escaping cycles of poverty and abuse and neglect um and it it wasn't like in any way autobiographically true but more emotionally true and um it was something that i i i remember like as i was writing it um and I am really curious to ask you about this, Albert, actually, in terms of your writing, because like, particularly when you're dealing with um, traumatic memory, um, and mine was around uh, being assaulted and being um, like a survivor of violence, you know, or Korean, I don't know if there was violence in your family, but there certainly was violence in mine. Um, like well-intentioned as well-intentioned as violence can be, but definitely was uh, present. But in terms of writing about it, there was so much shame and, and like, you know, people don't talk about these kinds of issues ever. And, um, you know, particularly growing up in kind of a middle-class suburban um, environment, you don't um, like, this is not the kind of thing that you can share. And, 
in terms of when I was writing, I remember I felt like I almost disembodied as I was writing. And I think that was part of the reason why it took me so long to write this story because it was, it was like an almost 10 year journey. Um, but it really felt like I, I was like one, it was like one hand didn't know what the other hand was doing, so to speak. Like I was writing, but I wasn't really looking if you know what I mean. I was just kind of barfing stuff out and some of it worked and a lot of it didn't. And I was actually really curious in terms of your experience because yours, I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but I've read that you, that uh, some of this was a repressed uh, childhood memory of witnessing a possible kidnapping. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For, I mean, for me, it's always, I, you know, I think you're right. You know, people that have gone through whatever sort of, uh, traumatic event that 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 one might go through um you know either the way people can deal with it or exercise it or speak about it or just express themselves you know we have you know filmmaking as an outlet to do it so for me you know obviously that's a very important factor of just trying to be sane and and hopefully uh, a productive member of society but um for me personally i'm I'm, you know, I'm quite reserved and shy and I, and because I do like to mine sort of my own personal, even for inner place, which was about a secret adoption and, you know, I'm not a woman and, you know, I haven't secretly adopted anybody, but it, but I like to, I guess I try to disguise what I'm trying to, to exercise or, or examine within myself and use uh, certain elements from it, but, but also disguise it as, as something else for the movie. So even for Clifton Hill, um, yeah, it, it's definitely based on something that happened in my own life of a, sort of a very memorable and repressed memory of a kidnapping or what I thought was a kidnapping that I saw when I was a child. But, you know, there, there was, I mean, there was reasons for me making it a, a female protagonist and also not making it because I've been asked like, why, if it is based on my own memory, why, why did you turn it into a, you know, sort of a, a white protagonist or, 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 a, or a Caucasian protagonist and not a Korean protagonist or an Asian protagonist? And why did you make it a woman instead of a man? And for me, all of these things were to, to make it less autobiographical, because I don't know if I'm, maybe it's just as a person or as a filmmaker, I'm not really ready to, to make something so blatantly personal, I guess, that it where I'm, I'm speaking about not just elements about myself, but maybe putting myself a little bit more in the forefront. And I always use uh, different devices, I guess, up until this point to tell my stories that I want to tell that are, you know, always coming from a personal place, of course. So, so like layering, you're layering. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm layering and just putting some masks on. Yeah. <laughs> you know? totally. yeah. And even now, and I, you know, I've, I, I still consider myself a, a younger filmmaker and maybe at a certain point I'll build, I'll build to, to making something that I don't have to use as many sort of devices or masks per se. And, you know, you know um, there are projects that I'm kind of developing sort of in the back of my brain that are a little bit more that, that speak to a little bit something more blatantly uh, autobiographical, let's say. And um yeah, but up until this point, it's just I haven't. I don't know. Maybe that's just my own sort of personal growth as a as a filmmaker that I have to go through to to uh, to kind of work myself up to. So that's I guess that I don't know if I answered your question, but that's sort of where I where I guess that's where I start when I start to think of you know what what do I want to do, what do I want to say. 
Did you feel like, and I'm curious about this in terms of your process, because, you know, artist to artist, did you feel disconnected at all when you were writing that story? Because, you know, in some of your interviews, you were like, oh, I don't know if I really witnessed it. And, and I'm like, I read that and I go, dude, you totally witnessed it. For sure you witnessed it. You would never have made something like that up, right? Sure. I mean, I definitely witnessed something and sort of the genesis of the idea of the film, sort of the underlying themes of that movie, of, of Disappearance at Clifton Hill is this idea of, you know, when you take uh, memory and you take imagination and you take uh, truth and you mix it and when they when it machinates together, like what that kind of creates. And for me, I definitely saw something when I was a child, but as I grew older and I would kind of recount this story to friends, it would, it turned into a sort of a party story where I tell somebody something cool that I witnessed. And inevitably when that happens, when you're a teenager or when you're 13 years old, is that the story starts to mutate and it starts to become grander and more, uh, maybe a little bit more fantastical than what it is that I actually saw. And you keep telling people the same, you keep telling the story, then you start to believe it. And then you start to, and then enough time passes and you forget what it was that you actually really saw. Inevitably, like, of course, I, I, I definitely saw something because I can pinpoint it to a place. And we actually shot the, the prologue of the film where we kind of recreate this memory in the exact same spot where I witnessed it as well. So, you know, I could, pl- I could, I could place things to a very specific place in a time. But what I saw, how I saw it, you know, I'm, I'm not quite sure. And, and, to, and, to, and that was sort of the genesis of kind of exploring, you know, truth and, and the subjectivity of truth, I guess. Like, I definitely feel like watching your film because it's such a different film. I remember when I said to you, oh, my God, I can't wait to see your film. And you kept saying to me, it's, it's a totally different film. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. cool. <laughs> I guess I'm not going to sit and cry. <laughs> Yeah, not that kind of movie. I don't think anyway. Hold your hand and just be like, "Oh my God, Albert!" Um, <laughs> but um, but I, I definitely felt like it was so interesting to me watching this film, and it's so different from In Her Place. And there's almost like a weird and interesting, like meta, like slash, like. I, I want to say disconnect, right? Like because you're just like, what? What happened? Huh? Like. Did, like did they did, like the parents did they lose their kid or or were they were they the abusers like like huh and then you see that guy Aaron Poole like at the end comes in with eye patch and you're just what the fuck is <laughs> like is that the kid and then like you know you're like so you're really like it's like you're really like playing around with the truth and like and I it just made me kind of go like Albert, like, is this a thing in, in your own head? Like, and I feel like I can say this cause we're, you know, like filmmakers and, you know, friends, like I, I'm like, is that a thing? Like you just, is that your own dodge? Like, because you can't really say what you saw, like, is this your own like um, way of dealing with the fact that you're like, I, I don't know, man, I feel kind of fucked up about this. Like, Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it was a hundred percent some of that, but also, trying to find, you know, like we talked about kind of layering things. And for me, it was, you know, I I also wanted to make a film that reflected or at least somewhat commented on the actual specific place, which is Niagara Falls, which is a place that I don't know for anybody that's visited Niagara Falls. It's, you know, it's a strange, you know, it's a strange town and and the town has sort of a, a split personality, sort of a hall of mirrors kind of 
feeling to the place. And so I wanted to make a film that kind of dealt with those different hall, of, like, a, you know, a film that felt like a hall of mirrors and all these competing narratives. And, you know, and, you know, when I was writing the film, um, it was right around the time that, you know, when, when Donald Trump was, you know, becoming president or looked like he might, that might be a thing. And just this idea of, of truth and how it didn't mean anything anymore, you know, and, and how some, how the objectivity of truth has been completely, uh, how it's just kind of vanished, you know, and everything is subjective. Like even cold facts are now disputed and everyone is just, you know, everyone has their own perspective of something and all these competing narratives or these competing facts or these competing agendas that are always just trying to fight for their own space. And how do I take that idea and put it in this tiny little mystery film that takes place in this, in this kind of weird, quirky little town? So it was kind of all of those things together for sure. But I think uh, the underlying fundamental basis of everything was that you know, for me as a filmmaker and just as an artist, um, you know, I'm, I'm always striving to make movies, but there is a certain, I think, comment just for myself about, you know, what it is that I'm doing and if I'm doing it right or, you know, if I should be doing it at all kind of thing. Like, I still have all these questions all the time. And, you know, after Interplace, that's actually something that I struggled with quite a bit, which is the reason why it probably took five years to make another movie. Um, it wasn't for a lack of opportunity. I, I don't think five years is that long. It isn't. It isn't, it isn't for sure. But yeah, um, like when you're about raising money and also just writing a good feature, it just it's such a tortuous process, right? Like you're you're kind of sort of taking an idea and you're taking it for a walk and you're like, oh well, that I just now ended up in this rabbit hole that you know I you know really didn't want to end up in. So now I have to myself out and figure it out all over again what i'm doing right like i mean i definitely understand that oh I mean, for sure oh like for sure absolutely right? <laughs> with my film right it's just like and it started mine started as a short and it was just like this mother daughter and this one other character and and just kind of even wrestling with this notion of like oh my god do i even want to write a feature like that just want to barf right (laughs) well i mean i remember you know just from like our very first time when we met where you were telling me about uh about this film i mean in my mind just like the like you know because you know this you were trying to make your first feature and just like the passion in which you were talking about it and and not even just the passion but how important it was for you to to do it you know i like there was no doubt in my mind that you were going to make this movie and so, <laughs> thank you. I mean, it was, oh my God, it was such a struggle. It was so hard. It was like, you know, cause I wrote it as a short and I it was in 2008, I was at the CFC and I remember I presented it as one of the shorts and nobody got it except for one, the editor in residence, um, Marlo Miazga, who was my mentor. And she was like, oh, Gloria, you know, you have to write this. You have to make this film. It's all about shame. And, you know, it's that mother-daughter relationship. And and because uh, I have a very, <clears throat> I would say, troubled relationship with my mother. <laughs> and um, and uh, I remember, um, and she said, but it's not a short, it's a feature. And I was like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't, you know, like, you just, 
you go through that, <clears throat> you know, you go through that thing where you're just like, how am I going to write this? Like, how is this going to even happen? Because you're creating something out of nothing, really, about it, right? Like you're just wondering what these characters are going to do and how they're going to act and and what you what you want to say, right? Like, like, you know, and for me, I was like, I, I was so confused because I was struggling going back and forth between that relationship with the mother and the daughter and then the relationship between um, the main character, the sex worker and the men in her life. And I was like, this is a story about like her and these men and this one, you know, the partner who's like, you know, he's abusive. Like he's not physically abusive, but he's a liar and he's a gambler and he's an addict. And is that the story or is it the story with the little girl? But like, I remember, I don't know if this happened for you, Albert, but like, I remember being able to write, um, the very beginning and the very end, you know? And so I knew where I, I, I wanted to start and I knew where I wanted to end up. Right. And the, and ending was always about the mother and the daughter right and and all of that stuff in between was like just like me being in total denial that this was my story you know right. <laughs> like, like i don't know if you like when you were writing in her place and 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 um clifton hill if you were like like oh this is not really my story ha 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 or like or you knew and you 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 just put those protective layers in because you already knew it was your story but I, I- yeah, I mean, for me, for, I mean, for to take the example of Inner Place, um, I had the story for Inner Place for, it, you know, that one almost took me, it took me about 10 years, not about, like, I would say eight years to, uh, from when I decided, like, I want to make this movie to when I actually it actually came to be. And a lot of it was... Um, well, just getting over myself of like, what, am I allowed to even tell this story? You know, I, I struggled with that quite a bit, which is that, you know, especially, you know, I started writing this film in my early 20s. And at that time, I, you know, I didn't know anything about anything. You know, I was just, you know, yeah. wet behind the ears for sure about everything in life. And what, what, who am I to be tackling a film in Korean, which is definitely my second language in a country that, yeah, I've spent a lot of time in, but, you know, it's not my country. It's a film that is dealing, it's a commentary on, you know, things that are happening in that country. And I was born in Ottawa and I grew up in the suburbs of Toronto. And so it's not really my story. However, um, there was something about the, the, all the, the thematic elements of it that were the things that I've always been interested in and things that I've always experienced, you know, a growing up in the Korean community, Korean Canadian community here, but also then sort of my family back home in Korea and how do I tell that story, but without it being a boy, you know, between, you know, caught between two worlds or whatever. And, and so I use this framework of the secret adoption as a way to, to explore all these things that I want to explore about myself and sort of my own experiences. And uh, it took a while. And then once I actually started to write the script, then that took another three, four five years because I just didn't know how to exactly tell that story. And then it was... Um, so, you know, once I finally kind of unlocked the, the, the key, it, 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 was, it was sort of the, the writing process of it, I would say, took about six years. And I would say for five and a half years of it, I had maybe four pages. And everybody would ask me, you know, Igor or some of my closer friends would ask me, you know, so where are you 
with that uh, Korean script that you keep talking about. I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm like 85% there, 90% there. You know, I would just lie when I was sitting with a document that was maybe three pages long. And then it, it, and then I actually wrote the entire script within a matter of weeks. Once I figured out, like, I just kept wow. saying I needed to crack the code. I needed to crack the code. Um, yeah, and then once, yeah. it, once that happened, it, it really snapped into place because I had all this, because I kept doing research. I kept going back to Korea, trying to do more research on secret adoptions and trying to make sure that I wasn't out of, uh, out of line in terms of like making sure I did all the research, talking to the right people, talking to adoption agencies. I was really trying to do my, to justify at least to myself that like, this isn't, um, this, you know, I'm, I'm taking, I'm treating this as seriously as I possibly can for someone that hasn't lived through something like this personally. And so I had all this stuff in me. And once I sort of figured out how to tell the story in a, in a film format with a story and characters and a narrative and everything else, uh, it, it really, once I figured it out, it snapped into place really quickly, but it, it took maybe six years for that to actually happen. And for me to thinking, thinking about it the, the entire time, you know, so I didn't, I was producing movies and, and doing other things, but I was really kept my eye on the prize for just that one movie, you know, the entire time and putting, and like, you know, I'm sure for you as well, just thinking, you know, why, why am I doing this? You know, <laughs> like, oh my God. So why? Why am I? <laughs> you know, uh, like, well, particularly like I remember halfway through, and I had, um, you know, I had like, you know, I'd gone through the CFC, and then so I applied to the CFC features and got turned down, you know, and like, and like, definitely the script wasn't ready for sure, you know, um, and then, but you know, also like just getting comments like well we don't really like the the mother character she's not nice and i'm like oh fuck you know like i don't know but that's kind of like in a weird way i i i you know like hard ass asian mom mm -hmm. you know like that's, that's what i'm writing you know and then um uh like and then the nsi and like getting turned down by that and just being like oh everyone's turning me down oh <laughs> You know, yeah. what am I doing? Why am I so obsessed with this story? And this was like, I was still kind of in so much denial about the fact that this was my personal story. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like it was so much like, um, I, I think I've, I've told you this story before um, about like my discovery of why I realized I was writing the story, but I was like banging my head against the wall. And, and I'm someone like who, uh, like the, my spiritual quest in life has always been so important um, and, and kind of tied a lot uh, to my personal work to some degree, right? And I remember like going, why, why, why am I writing this story? And I was um, staying with my brother who happens to be a, a like a really hardcore fundamentalist Christian, like we're Korean, you know, if you're Korean, you're like super Christian, right? Like at, at least here you're super Christian and um you know and i and i was just like well you know okay well there's here's this bible in this child's room that we were staying in because like my uh ex-husband and, and my daughter and i were selling our condo and uh we were just you know like you know how you do that when you sell a place you like so that you can still present it otherwise you know because if you live in such right. a mess right and, 
And I remember just like my main character's name was Deborah. And I just was like, okay, well maybe, you know, cause my fundamentalist brother was always like, you know, you should read the Bible more. I was like, well, maybe I'll just open up the Bible. Maybe I'll have some inspiration. And you know, it's so interesting. Like when you, um, and this is this, like interesting. I, I find spiritual principle, like, like when you ask a question, to you you know call it whatever you want god source universe you get an answer you know and and so i was like what am i doing this for come on god you know show up for me man <laughs> and i opened the bible and no word of a lie i opened to the passage of um uh in the old testament of the character deborah who i didn't even know was a person in the bible actually um and she's never talked about, but she's like this powerful, like she's a priestess and a prophetess and like a judge. So she's like a, a powerful woman figure in the Bible and not like a, a like a wife or a daughter or a mother or a prostitute. Right. So I was like, oh, my God. And she's like prophesying victory for like Israel, like they're out to go to battle. And I was like, what? That's just crazy. You know, So I started writing this whole scene where like and it's funny because in the end we took the scene out of the film um because it you know when you're editing like something that's so meaningful to you in the writing sometimes doesn't end up on the screen yeah. right like it's such a weird mm -hmm. thing right but but this was such a formative reason why i i kept going and you know where the ian character who's like kind of like the like the, the man that she meets who like helps her back on her feet tells her the meaning of her name, you know, and like tells her she's this priestess from the Bible. And then she asks him his name. And I was just like, yeah, what does the name Ian mean? I'm, I should look that up because if she's going to, the character's going to ask, I should know. And I remember finding the meaning and it meant uh, God is forgiving. And I remember just like bursting into tears at that moment as I was writing the story because I, it was just like this, like, for me, that was my, like, you know, key moment. Like, that was, like, the thing that unlocked it for me, I, I where I realized, oh, my goodness, like, I've written this story about this woman who goes through so much trouble and so much pain, and, and she is, like, a survivor of, you know, violence and abuse. Like, I, I, I only kind of mention it, like, I do mention it, like, at the time, I hadn't even written it into the story, um, but that was always what she was supposed to be. And um, in a weird way, it was like I was in denial that she was me. And I I just felt like she deserved, like it was like I, I felt like she deserved all this pain because I deserved all this pain. And it wasn't until that moment where I was just like, oh my gosh, I like, like the word forgiveness is such a weird word, right? Like, you know, I, I've always had such a weird relationship with forgiveness because it's just like, you're always like as I don't know like as a Korean person as a Korean kid you're always walking around feeling like you're in trouble mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and so you're just like fuck you forgiveness <laughs> but at the time I remember going oh my god I'm I'm loved like I'm forgiven I'm forgiven for all the terrible things that happened to me and I had blamed myself for like being assaulted and blamed myself for you know having gone through a, abuse and and it was like this light bulb moment, this like incredibly beautiful enlightening moment where I just kind of let go of all of that. 
and knew that that was the reason why I was telling the story. And that was why for me, I, I just felt so passionately like that I had to make this film that I had to like, because, because I know that other women who go through this, who go through abuse and assault and like they, they really do blame themselves. Like it's such a thing, you know, like you, you really, you really take on all of this, like, and it's, it's cultural and it's, it's just how we see women and how, how women are, you know, even after the whole me too thing, I still feel like, you know, we, you know, as a gender have not healed from that, you know? And, and so I, I wanted to tell this story to just kind of say to other women, like, you know, look, I see you, you know, your life is legitimate. You, you, you deserve forgiveness and love. Like, do you deserve to forgive yourself? You deserve to be able to, you know, walk on this planet and feel like you have a right to be here, which was such a thing that I, like I grappled with so much, you know, as a human being and as an artist. Right. So I, I, what was your like little like light bulb moment? <laughs> um, well, it was, it, it was two things. One was uh, sort of a formalistic thing in terms of just screenwriting. And the other one was um, kind of a eureka moment that happened in my life a little bit as well, which is, you know, I, you know, coming from like, you know, especially for inner place, um, which I guess kind of started my career, which is, you know, to kind of go even a little bit further back from that is that, you know, inner place was my second feature film. I, I had actually made a full feature film before that. And I'd made all these short films and none of them had really done anything or were really quite, you know, I can, you know, just trying to be as objective or as, as I can about my own work is like, they weren't very good. And I, all my life, all I ever wanted to do was be a filmmaker. I gave myself no backup uh, options. And, and that I was confronted with this idea that like, well, you know, maybe I'm just not very good at this. And what, what you know, so there, it was a big sort of moment. And, you know, like my, my, my other friends and colleagues and people I went to school with, you know, they'd all started to make shorts that were playing all these big festivals or, and it seemed like, oh, wow, they're, they're really bringing something to the table. And, you know, they, they're, they're, they're finding their voice or they're, they're, they're bringing, you know, they're, they're presenting themselves as, as filmmakers with a, with a voice and something to say. Um, and I was trying to do the same thing and I just wasn't able to find myself in that. And maybe, you know, and I'm a pretty pragmatic person. So for me, it was, well, maybe I'm just, you know, like this is, it's a pie in the sky sort of proposition to begin with, to be a filmmaker or a viable filmmaker that can kind of do this um, as a mm -hmm. career or as a vocation. And it's like, maybe that, yeah. maybe it's just not in the cards for me. You know, it's um, filmmaking mm. is one of those things where obviously it's, you know, there is a 90% perspiration, 10% inspiration or whatever you want to look at, but that inspiration portion is pretty important. And if you're just not, and, and it is an art form, like some people can, you know, play the piano for 30 years of their lives, but they just don't have that special thing where it just, when they play, it kind of connects with people or whatever, you know, and like, maybe that was me as a filmmaker. It, it doesn't matter how much, how badly I wanted it or how, you know, or the fact that like, I gave myself no backup options. It's just like, maybe I'm just not a very good filmmaker. Like I really was confronted with that because, you know, I had, 
had so many kicks at the can and it didn't really, it hadn't really been working for me. And even not just, and I wasn't blaming anybody else. I was, you know, I was looking at the films and being like, Hmm, like, why didn't this turn out the way I thought it was going to, or, you know, I planned all this, I had, I had all this stuff in my head and it just wasn't, I wasn't able to translate whatever I was trying to do to the screen. And so what with inner place, it was sort of my very last salvo. Like, I don't know how many more, how many more times I can do this. It's really, it takes a lot to, to make these movies. And so I, so that was a really long backstory, but when I got to the point where inner place was the thing, um, I wanted to make a film in Korea and I told nobody, I think the only person that knew I was making this film was, uh, was Igor, who was my business partner. And even him, I didn't tell him exactly what I was doing. Cause it was like, Oh, the script's in Korea and you can't read it anyway. And I was, and, and I think I was protecting myself because I knew like, well, if this doesn't work out, at least nobody will really know. And I can just fade away quietly. And then I'll just produce Igor's movies and, and I'll just, you know, I'll be a filmmaker, but just not a, a writer director. And, you know, I was in Korea. I, w- I kept going to Korea. Part of it was because I met my wife, my future wife there. But, you know, I was going to Korea and spending a lot of time there. And I was in a restaurant eating food. And then I overheard these people, uh, this next table over from me, which was like a big family gathering. And it got a, it was like a very heated sort of kind of conversation that only like people like that family members get into, you know. And I was kind of eavesdropping and, and they were talking about uh, somebody else in that family who wasn't present at that table, but that, that they had secretly adopted somebody. And that was sort of the rumor swirling around that table. And when, when they were talking about that, it, it, uh, it pinged for me because, you know, these kind of rumors swirled around in my family as well, you know, not in my immediate family, but with these cousins and like, and then, and then also just in the Korean community in Toronto, you'd always hear about, you know, how so-and-so isn't the real child of so-and-so and, and like you would always hear this and all the shame and all the sort of the gossiping and, and especially in these smaller communities, you know, the Korean community, you know, in the eighties and early nineties, I guess, in, in Toronto. And it kind of got me thinking about all of that. And then, and then that was sort of the, the story key because originally I had a location, which was this farm that inner place takes place in. And it was a free location. And, you know, I was making movies for next to no money. So I had to sort of reverse engineer films. And that was sort of like, okay, I have this very interesting evocative location that I think is very cinematic and I have free access to, and I can torch it if I wanted to, I can do whatever I want with it. So I'm going to set a movie here. And I just didn't have a story to set there. And I, and I, you know, as a, as a, you know, 22 year old uh, guy, you know, I was thinking of like a boy on the farm a romance with some other farm girl, you know, it was just like, it was very not me and it was not very inventive. I thought. And so I just kept being like, oh, that's not the story. That's not the story. And then when I overheard this thing, I, it, that was like, oh, that's the story. And then once I had that story, then it took another four years for me to actually write it because I didn't know how to tell that story. So I was, you know, doing the research and everything else that, but, that I had said before. But uh, it's only when I found out the structural element of how to tell the story of these three subjective, like three women and telling a story in these three subjective viewpoints um was the sort of the key so it was those two elements that kind of came together and then when and i was so confident in this idea at least for myself that this was the story that i had to tell and this is the story that i was meant to tell even if it wasn't my own personal story per se that i went out i went into it just 
throwing haymakers in the sense of if I never get to make another movie again, I'm going to go down with this one doing exactly everything that I believe in as a filmmaker of how I should tell this story. And so it was, you know, it was like, it was like that scene in the movie where you just put all the chips on the table. I, you know, I, I, we were appropriating money from a different project. I shouldn't be saying that right now, but you know, I was just, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I was stealing. I I was beg borrowing and stealing in essence to make this movie. And and I scrounged up a hundred thousand dollars and just went to Korea and just shot this film with a bunch of people that, you know, ultimately ended up becoming very, I became very close friends with, but they were all strangers and I didn't know if they were all going to take me for a ride and I was going to be left with no film and everything gone and my life ruined and tatters. But for me, it was like, it was worth it because this is the only thing, this is my only chance, you know, and this is, and I believe in this thing so much that I'm going to go for it. And you know, this is a, obviously it has a happy ending because I'm still making movies and then I ended up making Disappearance of Clifton Hill and, and everything else. But um, I don't even know if I answered your question, but I guess to say that I, uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm so interested, you know, something that keeps coming up for in both of you talking um, is this idea of telling your story. Um, and, and, you know, and it's such a like cliche um, for all these, you know, film festival promos, like tell your story. And, um, you know, it's just this part of uh, the culture and how we talk about it and how we present things. And I think it's doubly so um, for people of color who are filmmakers, uh, triply so for somebody like you, Gloria, right? So uh, who is a woman, uh, a woman of color, right? So, and a filmmaker, like there's this real tension and, um uh, it's so interesting to hear you talk about uh, like uh, it, it's almost like a, it's 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 a it's a burden. It's a burden that there's this urgency of or urgency of telling your story or but but telling it in a certain way, yeah, you know, like, I mean, there's definitely an urgency, you know, and I think I mean, I think it is. I mean, or or almost that it's a requisite that it's like, hey, you're a you're a Korean woman. Mm-hmm why don't you tell that story? You know what I mean? Or like, or Albert, you know, you're like, why, why isn't this, uh, why, why aren't you telling the story from this perspective? Right. And um, when you both kind of like talk about this kind of emotional truth as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I definitely believe that emotional truth is the most important part of storytelling. I think that, I mean, you know, it was important for me to tell for Queen of the Morning Calm, it was really important for me for the main character to be Korean. Um, because I mean, I had, I also had done all those layers, right? You know, where it was like, oh, she's a sex worker, and, you know, like, she's with a gambling addict. And, you know, I mean, at the time when I was writing, and I didn't have a child, I, I, I now do, but um, like, you know, and she's got a daughter, you know, um, but like, I, I also really, really, really needed to talk about um, being like an Asian woman in this culture. I think that, you know, it is definitely a thing to be an Asian woman in this culture. There's so much, there's so many stereotypes. There's so many, like, there's so much sexualization. There's so much um, just being made to fit into certain kinds of molds. And, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily the main, 
like it's partly the mainstream culture that puts that on you and it's also partly you know just being an asian woman in an asian family right like i remember one time having this conversation um with gene yoon who plays amma on kim's and i and i we had this like conversation about how because in's Choi, who's the creator and it's such a wonderful show um it, and he's a guy and he writes amma as like this total sweetie pie and i was just like yeah you know that's not how i i experienced my mom <laughs> right and i'm not saying that there aren't sweetie pie korean moms for sure there are sweetie pie korean moms you know but i i think you know like asian women are strong <laughs> like they're kind of ass kickers right but it's almost like I, I don't want to say it's hidden, right? But it's very, there's like, like, I mean, talk about layers of like navigating um, that kind of strength and how you, how you, um, like, how you present to the world versus how you, you are in your family. And, um, and then, but it's so weird because like, I feel like, um, culturally, you know, from my mother's generation, or my aunt's generation, they seem to know how to do that in a way where they don't feel any real conflict about it, you know, whereas growing up here, I felt so much conflict about always being the good girl and and presenting as the good girl, but feeling like I just wanted to punch something, you know, <laughs> right? And so mm-hmm. it's like, and then, you know, I think as a, as a young Asian woman, um, like, you know, Kelly pipe in at any point, (laughs) but I feel like you are so like freaking sexualized in a weird way that you're just like, wow, this is definitely not who I am. Yeah. Yeah. On that actually, Gloria, I had a, I had a question like for you about your process about writing Deborah, just because, you know, there's so many like identity markers on her character as a sex worker, Asian, immigrant, young, single but not really single unconventional mother they all are kind of like and more but all these markers really have kind of essentialized um box of way boxed up ways of just like their own preconceived truths and like you were just mentioning how people like read her like really mean and like in really specific ways so yeah I'm just kind of curious like how do you how did you just like balance that and still and yeah sorry and not focus on like I guess the 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 damage, I guess, like those identities can be so. There's like they come with their own trauma and the, this idea of damage, mm-hmm. and I feel like you kind of you didn't really do that. But I'm just kind of curious, like how you work through that. Um, I mean, for me, I I thought that it was really important, you know, because like you know, it's funny being an Asian woman because I mean, especially when I was growing up and like. Um, you know, in high school, you're, it's almost like you're a little bit invisible, right? And like, wear the glasses and whatever. <laughs> and like, you know, you're, you know, the straight A student, which, you know, I mean, I wasn't straight A, but you know, I was a smart student and on a roll and all that stuff. And then you, you kind of go, you leave high school, and then you kind of go out into the world. And suddenly, it's like, all these, you get all this attention, right? And you're just like, like, wow, this is really weird, right? Like, you're just, how do I navigate that identity, you know? And then, uh, you know, for me, it was like that experience of like being outside of that identity, 
but being perceived as an identity that made me like kind of almost be the observer of that identity. And, um, and I, and weirdly because I was a survivor of violence and then going out into the world, you know, and then encountering more violence, I, I, and I thought, did this happen because I'm an Asian woman? Did this happen because I was a survivor of violence? You know, like, I just thought that that was such an interesting thing, you know, and at the time it was really devastating, but like, I know that I knew that even at that time, you know, because it was so devastating um, emotionally for me, like that one of the things that like I held to be like the bright light that I held on to was that like this was not going to get me down, that I was not going to allow this incident that happened to me and the person that did it to me to like get me down and keep keep me down and like stop me from being um like a storyteller and that in fact I was gonna tell a story about this and so it was I I just really needed to respect that experience and and because you know I'm the kind of person because I am a storyteller and I am curious like I I you know, would take the risk and I would tell people the story and I would tell other women and I would ask them and they would always, almost always, there was such a weird thing where I kept encountering other women who kept denying, like they kept saying, no, 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 that same thing happened to me, you know, and, but that's not assault. And another woman who was like, no, 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 like, you know, like this guy, yeah, he held me down and he punched me in the face, you know, and then we had sex, but that wasn't assault. And it was like, what? Like, you're joking, right? Like, you're, but at the same time, it was like this whole, like, you know, and that's why I, I was so interested in talking about disconnect, Albert. Like, like that whole, mm-hmm. you know, when you go through trauma like that, you know, it becomes this disconnect, you know, and like, I, I, you know, or it's like when you listen to Sarah Silverman, who's the comedian, and she talks about like issues around, you know, abuse or like, and she always makes it really funny, you know, and it is, I just howl with laughter when I hear her because, or like uh, Amy Schumer does that as well. And Amy Schumer is a survivor, you know, and, and I, and, and anyways, but for me, like, this was my way of dealing with this um, kind of story. Like if I, you know, like I wanted to honor it. I wanted to respect it. I wanted it to be part of the story, but I didn't want it to be exploitive. I don't think I was exploitive, you know, like I really also wanted to honor Tina Jung who plays Deborah. And I just wanted to make sure she felt safe as much as possible. Right. Like, I mean, you can never be perfect, but like, I just always wanted to check in with her and I didn't want her to feel exposed or feel like she was physically exposed, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And like, there's no like extreme, there's no violence in the film. I don't think, but there's like a sort of hint of violence. You know what I mean? In, in the relationships and like, just in how she's kind of having to navigate all of that. And I just thought, Oh, it's so complicated, right? Like it's such a complicated thing you know, like being a woman and being an Asian woman, like, I don't, I don't think it's simple, you know, and I don't think it's, um, like, I think it's such a complicated uh, stereotype. And I think, you know, like, like, for all women, right, like all women, but like being an Asian woman, because you have all those weird 
perceptions around your submissiveness and you know and it's such a mis like a misdirect that um I but I just knew that I had to somehow talk about it and I had to talk about it you know from her perspective right from the perspective of a woman I just thought that that was so important you know because that's so rarely done Backstory Podcast is written and hosted by Aram Collier and Kelly Louie. It's edited and produced by Sungwoo Beck and is presented by Toronto Real Asian International Film Festival. Please check out our show notes for more information about the disappearance at Clifton Hill and Queen of the Morning Calm, as well as any relevant updates about the podcast or the festival itself. If you have any questions or want to say hi, reach out to us at our email, backstory.ra at gmail.com. <laughs>